Manchester United. Can they find something here? Big chance, Barisha! He's done it again! And it's a goal! Unbelievable! What about this? Dylan Piraeus, his first touch of the game. Sanchez! Western United do claim the three points. And Diamante again! Oh, he's done it! Twice! He's chipped a keeper! Presented by Simmons. It's the Green Room on FNR, Football Nation Radio. And we're back here on the official Western United Club show, proudly presented by Simmons Homes, the great Australian builder. This is the Green Room. Every week we'll be taking you inside Western United, one of the league's newest and one of the most ambitious clubs in the A-League. I'm Josh Parrish. I'm here with Nick Hughes, and our next guest is a community football ambassador. Not only that, he has a pretty impressive playing history, and we even heard him on commentary in the last round of the FFA Cup. David Clarkson, welcome to the Green Room. Hello, gents. Thank you for having me. Um, I was just saying before that you set it up beautifully. It looks really nice, especially with the new away kit. Very nice. Yeah, it's nice, isn't it? There's a bit of a uh, kind of spray paint uh, going down the middle of that. Yeah. I do it. Blacktop and the bitumen. Uh, David, tell us a little bit about your role at the club because I don't know if the fans watching know what community football ambassador actually means. Mm. Well, that's a good question. Um, well, I only just started that role. Mm-hmm. Firstly, Chris Pelavanis, the CEO, brought me on really to deal with the Tasmanian market, guys, because I grew up there playing my junior football there and obviously we're playing games in Tassie. Well, last season we played, we played two more this year in April and then we'll play the following year. So it was really about engaging the community in Tassie, but from that it spread now into um, into Victoria. And, look, we have a wonderful opportunity. There's some really great things happening with the club. There's a, there's a really good vibe, obviously, the stadium. But on the, my key role is to engage with the community clubs, of which we have 106 in our catchment. So... Um, my, the community football ambassador will be very much that working with the clubs um, in a meaningful way. We're going to uh, we're launching a program very shortly called the United Football Program that will give clubs opportunity to run programs powered by Western United in the, at their own facility, make money, and obviously obviously offer a service to their members. So I'm really excited about that um, and can't wait to launch it. So some good things happening. So you're a you're a proud Tasmanian, of course, and uh, you were part of the the club's pitch to Tasmania when they went down there for a couple of home games. Uh, no, that that was all done before my time. Okay, um, did a great job, and and Chris obviously dealt with the government, and the government were keen to have an A League football team playing in Tasmania. They have a similar setup with the AFL, the state. Predominantly when I was growing up, it was very much an AFL state and some wonderful players came out of Tasmania. Um, but it's not the case anymore. And, and football, our football is the most played team sport in the state. So it's a wonderful opportunity for us and it's a wonderful opportunity for the state of Tasmania to see high-level football. And the good thing is, guys, now that we, we've got our A-League, uh, W or A-League women's licence, what a fantastic opportunity. So we'll take the women down there as well. So it's those young aspiring girls that are looking 
to play football, they'll get to see it firsthand. And it's hard. That stretch of water makes a big difference. And I know growing up there, it was difficult to move away without any clear pathway. So that's a big role for me is creating a, a clear pathway into the Western United system. Just how big was that last year? We know it was a uh, build as a, a festival of football uh, at the club. It was, you know, the first uh, A League games uh, played uh, across the the stretch of water that you mentioned. Just how massive was it? And and moving forward now for the club to be going back there for the next couple of years. Uh, yeah, t- talk to us about how big it is. Oh, it, was re- it was big, Nick, because. It hasn't really happened before. Melbourne Victory's played some games down there, but it wasn't. I don't think it was a really solid relationship that was built. Um, the fact there's government backing. Look, our team, you know, off pitch team, did a wonderful job in a very short lead up time. We didn't have a lot of time to get this last season organised. We've laid the foundation now. It's time to build on it. We've got a much longer run in now. Um, we're working really closely with government, council, all of the. Uh, well, predominantly the north of the state because both of our games will be played in Launceston again, working with a community club. So, yeah, it's very exciting. It's it's exciting for Western United and it's very exciting for the state of Tasmania and not just people who play and watch football, those who don't that can, you know, come along and, and, and have a look. Well, for those uh, people thinking about making a, a road trip down, I mean, mm. I... I... I personally recommend the chairlift. That was fun. Uh, we actually went down there to watch. It was it was a fab- fabulous experience last year. But returning to the West, w- what are your impressions of the Western suburbs of Melbourne as a as a football heartland? Because you know you've lived in, and played in this city before in your day uh, on the pitch, and you mentioned there 106 clubs. It's a pretty uh, pretty dense uh, community of clubs that maybe is untapped at A League level. Yeah, I think, well, it is untapped. It's the heartland of football, isn't it? It's like when Western Sydney Wanderers came into the league. It wasn't by chance that that was a, a success. The reason for that is because people care about football in the west of Sydney. It's it's in their DNA, and I feel that's the same in, in the west of, uh, of Melbourne. You know, and that takes in Ballarat and Geelong as well, so we have a massive catchment. Yeah, it's really what we do with that. It's important that we don't talk about it, we do it, and I feel like we're making inroads into that now. It's a big job. But we don't need all 106 clubs right now. We need six and seven and eight and just build the momentum. And the and the jewel in the crown is the stadium and the precinct. It's, it's something that no other club will have and who knows if any other club will ever have it in the future. But, you know, congratulations to, to the people involved and the chairman and, and Chris. It's a really exciting opportunity. Can't wait till that, till that happens. I don't know if you're aware of this uh, tournament, but it's something that we've gone down uh, on behalf of FNR to, to broadcast for a couple of years now. It happens with the final on Australia Day every year, and it's the African Nations Cup. Yeah. And it is just the most fantastic football experience uh, you know, at a grassroots level that you could hope for. I mean, a lot of the players are seriously good NPL players, sometimes played under assumed names because they don't want to get in trouble with their parent clubs <laughs> for playing games just before the season starts. But... Uh, it is a wonderful tournament. I did notice that you know Western United was the only club who had had any kind of presence there, and then going to watch the MPL three size uh, yeah. this year with such a strong core contingent of African Australian players in that side and uh, building a bit of a, a following in that community as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, even without a home ground, uh, that's pretty exciting uh, cash cachet to to develop, right? It's very exciting. I mean, the Afri- it's just multicultural 
city there, isn't it? I mean, we've got some Asians involved now and looking as a supporters group. It's Look, football is, it speaks every language, doesn't it? That's the beauty of football. It can be played anywhere, anytime. And we want to be the vehicle for those young people. And, and they don't have to be aspiring to be the best, you know, or, or play at a professional level. We hope a lot do and can, but it's about giving kids an opportunity to play anywhere, anytime, and then to experience coming to watch, you know, elite level football. It's We have a lot of positives. I wanted to touch on the accessibility of football as part of this pitch because I've been talking to the organisers of that tournament and they say a lot of uh, the fans that come to watch and the players that play, some of them aren't always involved uh, in proper organised football because it's just so expensive to play, um, you know, junior football for an MPL club or some of them don't go to games because it's too expensive to get in. So uh, are Western United looking to to make football more accessible to, you know, potentially uh, multicultural communities and um, so low socioeconomic areas in the West? Yeah, well, we're not just looking. We are doing that very much, working with local councils. And, I mean, on um, on Monday, this coming Monday, I'm going out to Wyndham Council. They're running a program out there. We, we obviously don't charge for that. It's, it's, it's a difficult situation because football, our football in general, it's always a user pay system and it's it's difficult. So, you know, we, we Football Australia was bang on. We've got all these participants. But the problem with our game, all of those participants fund the game going up where in AFL the funding comes down to the grassroots. We have to change that. We have to make it because if it's about if you're looking to really identify a male or female player, it shouldn't be about their bank account or what their parents do. It should be about the talent of the player. So we are, we're looking at scholarship programs. We, we can bring players in that maybe are not in a position to, to be paying money. Then we give them the opportunity. Why? Because they're good footballers. That's why. In terms of, uh, you know, cost and, and sort of promoting youth, I think the, the club's doing some fantastic work with Kids Go Free for the, the home games across the A-League men's season. Uh, the, the academy is, you know, one year in and, and now continuing to grow and, uh, as as Josh said, we, we've seen a couple of stars, uh, a handful now have signed their first uh, pro deal. So, is that sort of an end goal with your work with uh, some of the some of those community clubs? You mentioned you don't we don't need to go out and get all 106 uh, all in one go. But is is that sort of what the work is is geared up towards? Exposing more and more and more young people to our game, to our club. Uh, and then getting themselves involved with a view to one day pulling on the green and black themselves. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's done everywhere in the world. Why can't it not be done here? Look, I think eventually we'll have an internal transfer system. Um, and if you look at the big clubs in the world, like your Ajax and these type of clubs, they're, they're, they're actually, whilst they're a big club, but they're a production line for their players and, and they their club is funded by selling players. We don't really have that opportunity now with our system. I mean, some players go overseas and that's difficult. We have to have it internally and, yeah, if we can develop players to play for Western United, great, but also if we can develop players that we can sell as a commodity, that that makes sense. That's just football. And if you can get players to, you know, if they don't go and play professionally, at least pull on a green and black jersey at a young age and uh, maybe turn up to a home game, that wouldn't hurt either. 
Well, yeah, again, just having that clear defined pathway where they come into a system as a 10, 12 year old and we can monitor them. Not everyone is going to make it, but they will be, they will have green and black running through their veins. And like kids in Liverpool that might go to the Liverpool Academy, even though they go off and do other things, they're Liverpool supporters. That's just how it is. So that's exactly what we want. I'm really hoping that, you know, someone like Adisu Bayou or Ajak Day breaks through this season and gives kids in that community, in that area, a yeah. role model to look up to so that they can see themselves on the pitch. Because, I mean, how good would that be? I mean, these these guys are training with the first team already on scholarship deals. Adusu yeah. just risen through the ranks like uh, you wouldn't believe and, and he's now representing the Oliroos as well. So, I mean, that's, that's a, a powerful image, I think. Yeah, I think for all sports, but for ours, definitely. And the picture paints a thousand words, you know, but it's not, none of this stuff is handed to anybody, is it? You've got to work hard, train hard, be a good person, be a good character. Um, and we look to identify that because it is about the character as well. But, you know, that example that you just gave, it's, it's wonderful for young, young kids looking and saying, wow, this can really happen now. Tell us a little bit about yourself and, and your career. Um, if people follow the National Soccer League or, um, you know, the English uh, divisions back in the day, they, they would know your name. But uh, for younger fans who perhaps aren't familiar with your career, tell us a bit about your uh, your playing experience. Well, there'll be plenty of those because I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you know, I grew up in Tassie and I always wanted to play football. And like many of my teammates and players that I've played against, you were, it's often – more often than not, it's your dad's involved in some capacity. My dad, you know, we came from the UK. They were 10-pound palms. I was two years of age with my sisters, five. And, yeah, I just grew up around a ball. My dad played at the Juventus, the local Italian club, and would spend many a long nights. I'd be asleep under the table while he's drinking his grappa, you know. And <laughs> back in those days, no seatbelts and no just drive home drunk. Um, and then he became a referee, which well, that was a little bit difficult because I'd go to watch and people would be bagging him, you know. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> um, but then fortunately I, you know, I was identified to have some type of ability and I represented Tasmania at a national championships in New South Wales in Sydney and I got chosen or went to the – chosen to go on scholarship to the AIS – so I went for two years in 1986 and 87, which was a, just a brilliant opportunity for me coming from Tassie in just a professional football environment with the best players in the country. Um, and then from there, I just I started to progress and I was fortunate enough to sign a deal at, at Brighton and Hove Albion in the UK. Um, I'll bef- yes, before that, I actually played for Sunshine George Cross, funnily enough, with Ernie Merrick. There you go. <laughs> you know, national, and we played, guys, we played at Skinner Reserve. Now, Skinner Reserve back then, I've been back since, like it looks half decent. Back then it was just the biggest, can I say, shithole. Um, <laughs> and we were playing National Soccer League game there. But it was a wonderful team. Craig Foster, Paul Foster, Damian Murray, all, almost Ernie Merrick chose you know, went and just identified all the best young players at, um, at at the AIS and brought them into his system. So we had a couple of seasons there and that was a great grounding because we were playing against big teams, Marconi, South, uh, Sydney Olympic, and you learn quick, you know, you learn very quick against those guys. Yeah, and then from there I just went on, Brighton and Hove, we played in Asia, came back, played seven seasons for South Melbourne in the old 
National Soccer League with Ange Postacoglu as our coach. And we had a lot of success. We went back-to-back champions. We played in the World Club Championships in Brazil in 2000 against Manchester United at the Maracanã in, in uh, Rio de Janeiro. Um, so that was the best eight club teams in the world. And at that time, we were part of Oceana, so we represented Oceana. So, look, I had a good career. I couldn't have been better, of course. Um, but going back to what I said, it's about you know, working hard and training hard. And I came from the backwaters of Tassie. You know, we didn't even have a McDonald's when I was growing up. <laughs> but I still managed to get identified. So, you know, you hear a lot of kids, oh, but it's not fair or it's, more often than not, if you're good enough, you'll, you'll get selected. You'll be found somewhere. Not many slip through the net. Is, is your career something then that you sort of touch on uh, in, in your ambassadorial role now that you can sort of use yourself as one of those examples that we've been talking about and um, and, and use that experience to, to put into your role and, you know, bring in some new ideas and, and try and help that, that movement. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I, I believe that's the case because I lived it, you know, and it wasn't the red carpet certainly wasn't rolled out. It was mm. tough. Like really, I had to move away from home at 15 years of age. In fact, Steve Horvath was the same. He went from Geelong to AIS at 15. I found a photo of him the other day. Was, I sent it to him. It looked like this, just just like a little kid. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I feel I can draw on that experience and, and coming from Tasmania where it was difficult. Like if you look, when we went back to Tassie, you can see now that it's a state that's it's thirsty and for top-level sport, mm. jump jack, jumping jacks or jump jack jumpers in the NBA, <laughs> the NBL team. I don't know if they'll ever get an AFL team. I hope not. Um, <laughs> and, and really, really they deserve, uh, not, yeah, perhaps deserve, but more that it really makes sense for them to have their own A-League team, an A-League W team, because Tasmanians are very parochial and they will get behind a team. So that would create a much... Um, cleaner pathway for players. And I, I speak to people here in Melbourne and in Tassie, like Nathaniel Atkinson, that, you know, he played for Riverside Olympic in the north. It was not even a big club. But the, the thing we've got to do now is take away that by chance. We need to start saying, well, right, let's look at these players and help them on a, on a defined pathway into, you know, elite-type football. Yeah, something I found actually refreshing about Western United's um, approach when they went down there uh, last year was uh, that they weren't pretending to be Tasmania's team. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, they were actually saying, yeah, you sh- guys should have your own team. But until until then, we're playing a few games here while we build our stadium. If you want to support us, um, great. But in the meantime, come watch us as a neutral or otherwise because this is a quality team with players like you know Diamante in it. So why wouldn't you want to come and watch? No, it's a good point, Josh. And and Chris and we've all singing from the same hymn book there. We're not going there to, you know, say we're the team of Tasmania. We actually want to help them and say, well, show that you can support a team and, and that football is very much front and centre for you guys. And that will still be the message. I think however they do it, you know, whether it's second division, promotion, relegation, or there's more licences handed out, I, I do believe you know, that Tasmania one day will have its its own A-League football club, definitely. Talk uh, talk about the, the stadium and, and, you know, the home, whether it's a, a temporary home in 
in Tassie and, and, you know, sort of letting them have their own thing. But obviously we've, um, you know, in, in the process of, of building something special like you, you said earlier, how, how much will then that in, in particular help what you're doing uh, with, uh, with the community clubs and, and young, uh, young players as well with that whole precinct to, you know, some people might even be living in that precinct, and they they yeah, can they, they can look at, look out of their balconies and, yeah. and and see all of that happening. So what what will that do to to someone in your role or, or future you know ambassadorial mm-hmm. roles as well? Well, there's an old saying, isn't it? Build build it, and they will come. <laughs> so look, that's that's definitely the case because if you've got a home that you can bring people to, you you give yourself every chance of succeeding. You know, it is difficult. I feel for. Chris and the and the chairman, it's it's and everybody involved at the club because we play in Ballarat, we play in Geelong, we play in Tassie, we play at Amy Park, and we tried to play at Lakeside, but that got bashed on the head. <laughs> um, but you know, these are all this is all part of our development, and I think these difficult times will help us to grow stronger and appreciate more when we do have a stadium. But look. I think everyone gets a little frustrated and there's red tape and, you know, we talk about it a lot. <laughs> the fact of the matter it is going to happen. Um, and, and what really my role now is just to make sure that we don't wait three years down the track and then say, oh, well, now we should engage with the community, guys. Not too late then. Let's start now, work with them at their at their own clubs and then when it's time, when we have a stadium and precinct, like you said, Nick, then, then this just opens up massive opportunities for us. Well, that's a common theme. Uh, we touched on earlier, nothing's handed to you in a professional football career and a stadium doesn't get handed to you either. Uh, no, surprisingly complicated process. <laughs> uh, David, last time you were uh, on air at FNR, uh, you gave us a little impromptu uh, serenade. I don't know if anybody uh, is aware of your uh, your musical inclinations. You're, uh, you're a good guitarist, a bit of a singer. Well, I'll tell you how it came about. It was I don't know it was lockdown forty five or it was one I think it was one of the early ones. It was one of the early ones. So I thought I wasn't working. Uh, I thought I can't just what am I doing? I do I like to run, but um, so I thought I can't waste my time. So I thought I've always wanted to play a musical instrument and learn another language. So the language didn't go so well, but and I'm probably get learning the guitar, if you hear it, didn't go that well either, but I tried to learn it and, um, yeah, I just enjoy it. It gives me, you know, a bit of downtime, don't waste time. And um, But what I did, now, obviously, guys, we haven't spoken about it yet. I'm not sure if you're aware, but we play our first home game of the season mm-hmm. on the weekend against Melbourne Victory. You know that other team in Melbourne or the, <laughs> the Navy Blue ones? Yeah, the Melbourne Victory, I think, the Western United States <laughs> yeah, refer it to us. Well, they're certainly at the top end of the town, aren't they? They click their Chardonnay glasses. So, But they have a song um, called Stand By Me that you would know after the game. But I tried to, the first verse, I tried to change it up a little bit because <laughs> obviously they're not going to be singing it on Saturday night, maybe when they're driving now to Geelong, and hopefully they come in their numbers. Yeah. Um so I'll do a little bit so they can have a sing along, but um, then we can go into our song. So let's have a look. When the night has come and the score is dark and the moon 
is the only light you see. Be afraid, be afraid, oh, be very afraid, just as long as you see Diamante. <laughs> Bravo. Um, look, it's you, you, we want rivalry, you know. Obviously, and and you know, Tony Popovich has is put a really top squad together, and they plan on winning things as we do. I think Chris and the team have done a terrific job in putting a really strong, strong squad together. Um, and to be honest, I wouldn't want to be John Aloisi trying to pick that squad every week because it's you know there's a lot of there's a lot of depth. It, I think his. In my opinion, his um, challenge will be firstly just get the foreigners fit, especially Bilovic, because he'll score us thirty goals. But um, just getting the getting the mix right, you know, especially in that midfield, just to um, to make sure that it's working well. Because no doubt, in my mind, that we have got the caliber of player to do something really special this year. So, you know, Chris and the guys have. have I think handed him some wonderful tools. Don, mm. I'm talking about it's it's now up to him to mould and massage them and and get it right. And we saw some good signs when we beat Newcastle Jets in the FFA Cup. So let's hope that uh, continues on Saturday night and we get it. Uh, yeah, Saturday night we get a result. Well, uh, we breeze past you know, it, but uh, I, I thought the uh, the song deserved a round of applause. Are you, yeah. have you are you doing an encore for us? Well, what I what I might do now is because. They won't be singing, and we will. What song do we sing? I think we all know it. Sing along if you know it, boys. <laughs> Where it began, I can't begin to know when. But when I know it's growing strong. Was in the spring. Spring became a summer. Who'd have believed you'd come along? Oh, hold on. Long, yes, sorry, along. <laughs> hands. Come on, Nick. Touching hands. Reaching out. Touching me, touching you. Sweet Caroline, good times never seem so good. There you go. Let's hope we sing that in our numbers. On uh... Uh, it's hard to do a sing along with the delay on Zoom, yeah. but uh, <laughs> I, I think uh, we'll have to get you in the studio and get a proper, like, high uh, definition, high high fidelity recording of that one. <laughs> no, it's all good fun. And look. Ticket sales are strong. You know, if we can't get 10,000 plus, you know, when we haven't had a lot of football or last season we had football with no crowds and our team had to travel interstate and be in hubs and all the blah, blah, come on. Let's just rock the joint. And that's for Melbourne Victory fans as well, you know. Obviously, for me, Tony Popovich would want the Melbourne Victory fans there and almost try and turn it into a home game for them because, as we know, they played games in Geelong, so it's not like it's something, you know, totally new for them. Let's just, for football's sake, let's fill the place up. Well, tickets are selling fast, so you better get in soon if you want to be there.
uh, for for round one. And why wouldn't you be? I mean, it's uh, a pretty impressive squad that's been assembled. Uh, Dylan Wenzel Halls was excited when we we spoke to him earlier. You know, Prijevic already on the board, of course, uh, with a little assistance from the from the Newcastle Jets goalkeeper. Uh, but it's going to be a fabulous occasion. Uh, David Clarkson, thank you so much uh, for uh, giving us uh, an insight into your role as community football ambassador and uh, singer-songwriter. I don't know if that's an official <laughs> title, uh, but absolutely love it. And we'll have you on uh, again later on in the season, I'm sure. Good on you, Josh. Thanks very much. Good on you, Nick. Well done, guys. Thanks, Doing a really terrific job. All the best.